Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and the New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And say, if you'd like to try a new adventure in good eating, will you just make sure that your dinner tomorrow night includes a bottle of Petri California Burgundy. Petri Burgundy is the ideal wine with any kind of meat or meat dish. That Petri Burgundy is a hearty wine just as rich in flavor as it is in color. It's the perfect companion to a thick, juicy steak or a piping hot pot roast or a good hamburger. You know that Petri Burgundy has a happy faculty of turning a simple meal like, say, a hamburger sandwich into a feast. Believe me, here is a wine that's clear, fragrant, and delicious. A wine that you can serve to your friends proudly. Petri Burgundy. Remember, the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of America's wines. And now let's join our good friend, Dr. Watson. I, I'm out here on the patio, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> well, I see you're making the most of a wonderful evening, Doctor. Oh, oh yes, my boy. Uh, it's pleasant to sit out here on a summer's night with a good friend and a pipe, a bottle of wine. Help yourself to a glass and sit down. Thank you, sir. Uh, already with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure, Doctor? Yes, and a strange story it is. It was in the autumn of 1899, Mr. Bartell, that I decided both as doctor and friend that Sherlock Holmes was in desperate need of a holiday. He'd really been overdoing it, huh? Oh, yes, my boy. It had been an unusually busy year, and at the time my story begins, Holmes was suffering from complete exhaustion. So, my boy, towards the end of October in that year... We found ourselves in the charming city of Kazanlak, capital of the small Balkan kingdom of Groznia. A few nights after our arrival, I remember Pavlu Krosnodar, Groznian minister of police, took us to hear the singing of a certain young Hungarian opera star, Miss Lily Reyna, who was then touring Europe. At our table was her fiancée, the charming young aristocrat, Prince Stefano. And it was very easy to see as he sat there listening to the song that the boy was head over heels in love. It is a haunting melody that she sang, Mr. Bartell. I can almost hear it now. (laughs) You're a very lucky man, Prince Stefano. Your fiancée's voice matches her beauty. Oh, yes, Dr. Watson. I consider myself the most fortunate man in Grotzny. <laughs> she has a magnificent voice, the finest singing I can recall since... When, Mr. Holmes? I was thinking of a prima donna of the Warsaw Opera who attained considerable success in London, Miss Irene Adler. Oh, by George, S. Yes. She was a criminal, one of the few that outwitted you, Holmes. Oh, that was a case that would have interested you, Mr. Krosnodar. I'm familiar with it, my dear doctor. You are unusually solemn tonight, Krosnodar. Have a glass of wine and I will bring Lily to our table and we will toast our happiness. I'm afraid I cannot drink to that toast, Prince Stefano. Why not? Oh, I know why. You, the notorious lady killer of Grotznir, are jealous. You're in love with Lily yourself. Prince Stefano, I have sad news for you. I have come here tonight, but for one purpose. To arrest your fiancée. You're joking. It is far from a joke. At my ministry, we have evidence, conclusive evidence... That Miss Lily Rayner is a spy. Spy? Good Lord. And the penalty for spying in Groznia? Ah, that, my friend, is why I would drink no toast. In Groznia, the penalty for espionage is death. Yes, I know, but Holmes, you must do something to save that girl. You can't just turn in for the night without trying to help her in some way. They might shoot her in the morning. Krasnodar's no fool. Since he's made the arrest, obviously, he has a watertight case against the girl. Uh, I suppose so. 
Oh, 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 one last pipe. You know, Holmes, I couldn't understand her fiancé's behavior. He didn't do a thing. Just stood there and let Krasnodar arrest the girl. Oh, what could he have done? Krasnodar is commissioner of police. There was no point in arguing with him until the evidence had been examined. Mm. I imagine the prince will try and pull some political strings. After all, Grozny... Come in, come in. Oh, who's this now? Oh, you wish to speak to me? Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I've come to talk to you about my baby. My name is Martha Gregg. Your baby? <laughs> Mr. Holmes doesn't... Oh, my baby, she is 20 years old, and she is flaxen-haired and beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's entirely different matter. We'll be delighted to help you, delighted. Sit down, won't you? On whose behalf have you come to me? Poor Lily Rayner. Lily Rayner? Well, that's the girl who's arrested tonight. I am only her dresser. And yet I'm Martha Greggett. I'm her mother and father. I have toured Europe with her ever since she left Vienna. She sent you to me tonight, I suppose? Yes, Mr. Mm. Holmes. She said you would understand. Hmm. What did she mean by that, I wonder? She said that Mr. Holmes would take care that a talent like hers should not perish just because she had broken a few laws. In other words, she wishes me to establish her innocence in the same breath as... She confesses her guilt. I'm afraid I don't take that sort of plan. Good night to you. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. I am glad that you came to my office this morning. I can show you the proof of Miss Lily Rayner's guilt. Oh. As distinguished foreigners, I should like you to know that though the penalty for political crimes is swift and severe... We are most careful that the incriminating evidence is beyond question. Uh, you see these letters? Yeah. We found them sewed into the bodies of her gown. Oh, good gracious me. There are a series of highly dangerous letters from Josip, the uh, leader of the revolutionary party with whom she is uh, obviously hand in glove. Uh, here, you may examine them if you wish. Uh, they look like Greek to me. My knowledge of the Groznian language is far from perfect, but these letters certainly seem to incriminate their owner beyond doubt. Uh, you will observe that the, the letters have followed her to each of the cities in which she has been singing. All of them ask questions as to the military garrisons and the chances of a successful revolution. Hmm. She has been a dangerous spy. Yes, I can see that, sir. But even so, isn't the death penalty excessively severe, particularly for a woman? Dr. Watson... The Balkan states are a hotbed of European intrigue. Our penalties must be severe, and we cannot make concessions to the sex of a culprit. This man, Josip, the writer of these letters, have you been able to find any trace of him? None. If only we could. But we have never even seen the man. However, we are fortunate to trap his assistant, and apparently the lady of his choice. Lady of his choice? But she was engaged to Prince Stefano. Uh, undoubtedly a blind. In her home, we found an unsigned love letter in English. It was in the same handwriting as these letters from Josip. Are you satisfied, Watson? Well, I suppose... Obviously, she's guilty. Well, there's no place for me in this affair, particularly when you consider that she made a virtual confession in sending her dresser to me last night. No, I suppose you're right, but just the same. If you were to trap this man, Josip, I should think you'd be wiser to hold the girl as a hostage. It might bring him on the scene if he's afraid she'll talk. If you hang her, you, you'll never find him. Dr. Watson, in my country we found that prompt justice gets the best results. And for your edification, we do not hang in Grosnia. No? The death penalty is exacted at the hands of a firing squad. And no. when is the execution to take place? You have timed your visit well, my friends. Please to step onto the balcony. Oh, dear. I uh, think that answers your question, Mr. Holmes. Great, Scott. Against the wall, blindfolded with a firing squad before her. It's Lily Rayner. Grosnian justice indeed moves swiftly, Mr. Krasnodar. It has to, my friend. Captain! Mr. Oh. Oh, great heaven, I can't watch this. I don't care what she's done. I don't want to see it. woman executed even if she is a spy. May all traitors to Groznia die as swiftly. Oh, but what a loss. Her beautiful voice. Yes, her beautiful voice. Uh, shall we go in, gentlemen?
Uh, you know, Holmes, I can still see that poor girl as she crumbled before the firing squad. So can I, old chap. Uh, that's her song you're playing, isn't it? Yes. The melody still haunts me. You blame me, don't you? Oh, oh, blame you for what? For not preventing her death. Oh, of course I don't blame you, Holmes. The girl was guilty. Rosalind-in-law prescribes the death penalty for her crime. After all, what could you have done about it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And yet... And yet what? I wonder if she was right. I wonder if artistry such as hers isn't of greater value to humanity than spying in any cause. Well, it's not much good worrying about that now, is it? The girl's dead and buried. Watson. Uh, what's the matter, Holmes? Did you hear that? I hear what? I could swear that I heard the dead girl's voice. She was singing a song to my accompaniment. Oh, oh dear me. Your nurse must be in a very bad state, Holmes. Hearing voices indeed. You'd better turn in for the night. Perhaps. It's a... Well, it may be more my conscience than my nerves. Well, I'll give you a sleeping draft if you like. No, 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 my dear chap. It, uh, I'm all right. It, it's funny, though. It's one that... Oh, well. Play some more of that tune, will you, Holmes? Eh, Watson? Of course I did. It was her voice. There's no mistaking it. Holmes, I don't believe in ghosts, and yet I could swear... Shh. Listen. Good Lord. It is her. Shh. Do not let them go and punish the kill me. Who are you? Where are you? In the air about you. Avenge my death. Strike a match, Watson. Strike a match. Yes. Light the gas. Look, 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 look. There in the moonlight, moving past the window. It's the figure of that girl that was shot today. Match, Watson. I'll guard the door. There. Gas is lighted, but she's vanished, Holmes. And not by means of this door. We're standing in front of it. And there's no other exit from the room. Holmes, I don't like this. We're dabbling in the supernatural. Oh, stop trembling, Watson. Whatever the explanation for this may be, one thing at least I find quite fascinating. And what's that? It's the first time in my career that I ever had a ghost for a client. Dr. Watson will tell us the rest of his story in just a second, so I'm just going to tell you about a wine that adds the perfect finishing touch to a good meal. Petri California Muscatel. With its sunshiny golden color and its full aroma, you just know Petri Muscatel is going to taste good. And it really does. Ah, the flavor of big, plump muscat grapes picked when they're full to bursting with luscious juice. For the wine that everybody likes, serve Petri Muscatel. You know it's good if it's Petri. Well, Dr. Watson, so you had a ghostly visitor calling on you at the hotel that night, huh? Yes, my boy, and I confess I was so badly shaken by the experience that I, I hardly to wink all night. Well, the next morning, after an early breakfast, Holmes and I located the proprietor of our hotel and began to question him as to the history of the building. I've admired the architecture of this building ever since you, uh, ever since we came here. A house of this period would uh, undoubtedly have been built with secret passages and staircases. I confess that I know of one secret staircase there. There may well be others. Indeed, and um, where is the one you know of? You wish to explore it, gentlemen? Oh, very much. My friend and I are most interested in such things. Follow me, please. These stairs lead to our wine cellars. Thousands of feet have tramped up and down these steps. Only a select few know that behind this tapestry here... Uh, behind this tapestry, gentlemen, is apparently a solid wall. But the wall is not solid. Uh, you have a match, perhaps? Oh, yes, of course. Here you are. Uh, we keep a candle here in this niche for just such an occasion as this. Uh, 
So, please hold back tapestry, sir. Oh, I, I've got it. Thank you. Now, let me see. One, two, three, four. The fourth brick up from the stair. I press it so, and... Ah. Look out. Great Scott, a section of the wall swinging up. It's closing a stairway behind it. Ingenious. There, gentlemen. Allow me to give you the candle. But uh, aren't you going to lead the way? Uh, no, sir, I'm not going to lead the way, thank you. I have owned this hotel for 32 years, and yet I have never explored this stairway. Why, sir? Is it reputed to be haunted? Yes, it is supposed to be haunted. I, uh, the candle, mm, gentlemen. Thank you, I... I'm much obliged to you. Come on, Watson. Uh, I shall wait here. I don't think I care for this, Holmes. Frightfully dark in here. Damp and moody, too. Look, Watson, huh? look here. Where? It's landing. Landing? Well, nothing but dust, dust and cobweb. A personal chap. There's the faint imprint of a woman's heel here. Huh. Oh, my George, yes. Shoes that have gone both up and down these stairs in the last 24 hours. Exactly. And there's a reverse print over here. Huh. This, my dear chap, I think accounts for the appearance and disappearance of our visitor last night. Yes, but Holmes, it was the singer, Lily Rayner. Yet we saw her shot yesterday morning. Rubbish, Watson, rubbish. What have we to do with walking corpses? Come on, old fellow. Let's see where this stairway leads us to. I know, but then what did we see if we didn't see a ghost last night? That, my dear chap, is what we have to find out. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Staircase ends here. Yeah, that's strange. Yes, it's a blank wall. That doesn't make sense. And yet the entrance to this stairway was an apparent blank wall, too, remember? Let's see if the same formula will do the same trick here. Oh, what was it? Oh, yes. One, two, three, four. Yeah, four bricks up from the step. I press so and... Open sesame! The wall swinging back again. What do we see? Another tapestry. A tapestry that uh, is very familiar. Well, I should say so. This hidden door leads into your very own bedroom. Exactly, home. my dear chap. Now we know beyond doubt how the apparent ghost made her appearance last night. Don't you suppose it must have been someone impersonating the dead that, girl? That, my dear fellow, is a question that can only be answered by calling on her fiancé, Prince Stefano. Let's go over and see him at once, shall we? Uh, Prince Stefano, I dislike to intrude upon your personal tragedy, but I must ask you a few questions. Ask your question. Did your fiancée have a sister, a sister who may have resembled her? No. She had no living relatives at all, Mr. Holmes. Well, tell me this. Who inherits her estate, sir? Her dresser. A faithful old woman by the name of McGregor who looked after her for some years. I see. Did Miss Rayner have an understudy? As a singer, she could have no understudy. She was irreplaceable. You say as a singer. Uh, was she also an actress? Oh, but yes, Mr. Holmes. Oh, really? A very unusual opera singer. Oh, quiet, Watson, please. The first time oh. I saw her was in Tosca. She, she was not another baron now, but... Her performance was very promising one, considering her age. In my country, of course, she was not able to appear in anything but opera because, because she could not speak Grosnian. She didn't speak Grosnian? Now I have the answer. The answer? Yes, to what? To this entire story, from the arrest of your fiancé to certain strange visitations at my hotel last night. What do you mean, Mr. Holmes? If you come to my hotel room tonight, my dear Prince, I can safely promise to make the whole matter clear to you. And I dare go a little further. I think that I can even help you find consolation in your bereavement. Ladies and gentlemen, I can see that you wonder why Dr. Watson and I have asked you to come here to our hotel tonight. As Minister of Police, I should be stupid if I did not realize that since your other two guests are the Prince de Fonte, Martha Gregor, the dead girl's dresser, that this meeting has some bearing on the execution of Miss Lily Rayner. I should prefer to say her murder. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you please, I should like to make my own position in this matter quite clear. Two nights ago, you, Martha, came to me on behalf of Miss Lily Rayner to solicit my aid. I, convinced that she was guilty, refused that aid. Yesterday morning, she died before a firing squad. Last night, her ghost appeared to me here in this room and asked me to avenge her death. Her ghost? What nonsense are you talking? It would be no surprise to me if her poor murdered soul came back from the grave to ask for justice, sir. I saw her, my good woman, almost as clearly as I see you all now. I agree with Krasnodar. To talk of ghosts is beyond now, belief. Please let me finish. When I had this visitation last night, I decided to investigate the case thoroughly. I did so today, and I can assure you that Miss Rayner paid for a crime she did not commit. 
What grounds do you have for saying that, Mr. Holmes? The letters that were supposedly written to her were in the Groznian language. And yet today, Prince Stefano informed me that she could not appear in the theater here because she did not speak the language. But those letters were sewed <clears throat> into her body's home. That's true, my dear fellow. And who was the only person who had the opportunity to do that? The same person who came to me two nights ago and succeeded in convincing me that Miss Rayner was guilty, her own dresser, and supposed friend. Are you suggesting that I'm I... suggesting that you inherited her estate on her death, and that you would have lost that inheritance if she had married and had a family of her own. What do you have to say in answer to that, Martha? That I am among madmen. This talk of ghosts proves it. Very well, then. Let the ghosts support my theories. Hand me the violin, will you, Watson, old fellow? Yes, of course. Thank you. Now... Turn down the gaslight. Right, sure. That's it. And listen. Yes. Yes. That's her voice. And that's her figure standing there in the moonlight. Even though she's dead. Now what do you say, Martha? Aren't you responsible for her death? If her ghost can sing, I'm sure it can also talk. I did do it. The letters belong to me. I sacrificed my own baby for gold. May heaven have mercy on my soul. A confession in front of four witnesses. Why not take it away, Krasnodar? We'll testify later. I will. Come with me, Martha. I killed my own baby. I deserve to die. Well, shall I... Shall I turn up the gas, Holmes? Ask Prince Stefano. No. Do not turn it up. I've seen... Heard the ghost of my beloved when the lights were down. I'm not afraid. Please play her melody again, Mr. Holmes. Aren't you uh, afraid, Prince Stefano? Why should I be afraid? Lily, my beloved, your spirit, I know, can be no evil one. I love it. I love you living. The pleasure of love lasts but an instant. Love's regrets last for a lifetime. This is now my lifetime, brightened by your gracious ghost. I'm sure this is a very touching scene, but it's getting uh, dreadfully maudlin. All right, Miss Raynor, you may come from behind the tapestry now. What's an old chap? Turn up the gaslight. There's a good fellow. Right, you are home. Prince Stefano, permit me to reintroduce you to your far from ghostly fiancée, Miss Lily Raynor. Lily! My beloved, you... You are not dead? No, I am not dead. Though I cannot see how Sherlock Holmes fathomed my secret. Huh. And there, my dear young lady, you're in exactly the same boat as I am. Surely the answer is obvious. <coughs> you gave me the key yourself, Prince Stefano. I did, but how, Mr. Holmes? When you informed me that Miss Rayner had once played the title role in Tosca. Tosca? What's that got to do with anything, Consider Holmes? the plot, Watson. A minister of police who is very susceptible to a lady's charms arranged a false execution. Knowing Mr. Krasnodar's weakness, Miss Rayner... You prevailed upon him to do likewise. Huh. Well, then the whole execution was a piece of pantomime. The rifles must have contained blanks. That's right, old fellow. And what should have heightened my suspicion, Miss Rayner, was the fact that at the moment of your apparent death, Mr. Krasnodar quoted a line from Tosca. He said, what an artist. I was not perceptive enough at the time to evaluate the remark correctly, I'm afraid. When the simulated execution took place, you were free, but uh, assumed dead. But why should I indulge in such a trick, Mr. Holmes? You reasoned that... Um, had you come to me directly, I might easily have turned you over as a fugitive from justice. And when you decided to dramatize the situation and appear last night as an apparent ghost, you knew it would, oh, well, at the very least, stimulate my curiosity. It would cause me to investigate the matter and possibly to learn the truth and clear you from suspicion. Well, yes, but Holmes, if she's innocent, how about the, the love letter in English, which was in the handwriting of Yossip, the revolutionary leader? Well, I can see only one explanation for that. You, Prince Stefano, are that mysterious revolutionary Yossip. Stefano! Oh, no, no, that is not possible. Mr. Holmes, you are a visitor in my country. I do not suppose you will be staying here much longer. Stefano, all these months you deceived me. Silence, Lily. Gentlemen, I hope for your own sake you will not be staying here much longer. Oh, I've been threatened by far more imposing adversaries than you, Prince Stefano. I suggest that you leave my room. It's none of my business dabbling in Groznian political affairs. Your secret is safe. In any case, I came to Groznia for a holiday. Goodbye. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Holmes. Well, my soul, Holmes, if we were in London, you wouldn't behave in this offhand way. But we're in Grosnia, old chap, aren't we? Hand me the violin, will you? All right, here you are. <laughs> Thanks. You know, Watson, uh, 
I've only had professional dealings with two singers in my life. The first was Irene Adler, and she fooled me, oh, so cleverly. And this singer tried to fool you and failed dismally. <laughs> Seems to me the scores oh, are about even. No, chap, no. This one was an amateur. Irene Adler will always be the woman. <laughs> ah, well, I think that's enough excitement for one day, don't you? After all, I am supposed to be taking a holiday. That was a swell story. And I'll bet that you were a lot more interested in the beautiful Lily than your story tonight would have us believe. Well, of course I'm interested in a beautiful woman. But then what man isn't? <laughs> Check. <laughs> but don't worry about me, Mr. Bartell. You know, being a family man, I just naturally associate a beautiful woman and home. And that makes me think of hospitality. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, according to you, I'm interested in home life. You, you're primarily interested in wine. Put us together, and we're interested in... Wine in the home. Well, isn't that an important part of hospitality? <laughs> that I admit. But remember, my interest in wine is entirely an interest in good wine. In Petri wine, to be exact. Because I know all about Petri wine. I know that the Petri family has been making wine for generations. With the Petri family, the growing of perfect sun-ripened grapes and the art of turning those grapes into fragrant, delicious wine is a heritage. It's a heritage handed down from father to son, from father to son. The skills of those generations of winemaking are evident in every drop of Petri wine. The name Petri bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri wine is always good wine. But you'll discover that for yourself. You'll learn that no matter what type wine you prefer, you'll like it better when it's a Petri wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure do you have lined up for us next week? Uh, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a most unusual story. Sherlock Holmes crossed swords with a famous Frenchman and proved that although the English have been called a nation of shopkeepers, that a murder did not always prove to be a good bargain. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Sussex Vampire. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And tonight, Dr. Watson was played by Mr. Joe Kearns, who substituted for Mr. Nigel Bruce. Mr. Bruce is scheduled to return to the program next week. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 
1001 Stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001 Stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I want to ask you something. You know, every now and then I've told you about the good old American custom of serving a glass of sherry before dinner, particularly Petri California sherry. And I wonder if you've tried that Petri sherry. Really, a glass of Petri sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Petri sherry is clear, fragrant, and truly delicious. It's a wonderful wine whose flavor is the essence of luscious, sun-ripened grapes. And Petri makes two kinds of sherry wine, a regular sherry and Petri Pale Dry. If you don't know which you prefer, try them both. Don't buy one, buy two. But remember, always buy Petri, because Petri wine is always good wine. Well, I'm sure Dr. Watson's ready for us. Let's go in and join him, shall we? Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. Quiet, Willie. Quiet, Bartell. Lie down. Dogs seem very pleased with themselves tonight. Did they have a good day? Yes, the three of us did, my boy. Hey, go on. Run off, run off out in the patio. I took a seven iron and some old golf balls on the beach this afternoon. I improved my game, I think, and the dogs had a great time chasing the golf balls. On the way home, the little rascals had a furious battle with an elderly pelican. <laughs> so their day was complete. I'll have to join you on one of your afternoon strolls, Doctor. You and the dog seem to have so much fun. Oh, I'll be glad of your company, Mr. Bartell. Well, draw up your usual chair and I'll get on with tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure. From the hints you gave us last week, I guess a Frenchman played a prominent part in the story? Yes, indeed he did, Mr. Bartell. His name was Francois Lavia. And he was a detective of some note in his own country. The time my story begins, it was in 1889, to be exact. Levere had come over to London to discuss with Holmes the difficulties of translating some of his monographs into the French language. At this particular time, I was in the early days of my marriage, Mr. Bartell, and this fact, combined with a busy practice, meant that I saw very little of my old friend. He must have missed you, Doctor. Oh, uh, indeed. Uh, well, uh, of course, he'd never admit the fact, but, uh, but uh, to get on with my story... One cloudless June afternoon, I found myself in the neighborhood of Baker Street, and I couldn't resist paying a visit to Holmes. Mrs. Hudson was out, but uh, having retained my old latch key, I let myself in and mounted the familiar stairs. It gave me a strange feeling as I raised my hand to knock on what once had been my own living room door. Come in, come in. Oh, hello, Holmes. Oh, I, I, I beg your pardon. I didn't know you were... What's the matter, dear fellow? How very nice to see you again. <laughs> it's great to see you, Holmes. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I, no. I didn't know that you had company. Not at all, my dear fellow. We're delighted, aren't we, Le What's up? This is uh, Monsieur Le Well, uh, how do you do, sir? How do you do? Enchanté, monsieur. I have often wished to meet this so charming Dr. Watson. Holmes has told me a great deal about you. Oh, it's very nice of you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that age suits you, Watson. You look splendid, old fellow. Gained a little weight, haven't you? Oh, uh, yes, a few pounds, I mean. Here comes you. Sit down, won't you? Uh, you sure that I'm not interrupting you in some important discussion? Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 mon cher docteur. We were having a good-natured argument on the relative abilities of the French criminal compared to the English. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you must lend me your support, idea. Watson. Monsieur Levi is convinced that the English criminal is a very dull dog indeed. Well, we've met some far from dull ones in our time, I... 
I assure you, Monsieur Le Villard. Ah, the exceptions <laughs> rather than the rule, I fear, mon cher docteur. <laughs> You're stubborn, aren't you, Le Villard? <laughs> Believe me, my dear friend, that I will yield to no one in my admiration of your knowledge and skill. That is why I wish I could persuade you to practice in Paris. Ah, there you would find opponents really worthy of your steel. What can happen to interest you in this land of grey frogs, uh, boiled potatoes, and uh, pots of tea? Gracious me, for my son, you're not very flattering. Oh, don't be so insular, Watson. Oh, I meant no offense, my friend. Well, you say that the English criminal is dull. Well, perhaps if you were to read a published story of mine called A, a Study in Scarlet, you'd think differently. It tells of a very exciting adventure that Holmes and I had. I have read it, my friend. Oh, you have? An extremely gripping story, oh, but yes. surely you will admit that the crime was essentially of American origin. <laughs> He's right, Watson. He's perfectly right, dear me. What can I do to vindicate the dishonor of the London criminal? Let me see. Oh, yes, yes, of course. A copy of today's Times. That's fine. I shall introduce you to a section known as the Agony Column. Uh, where is it now? Oh, yes, here we are. This should convince you of the color and variety of English life. The agony column? Mm -hmm. It sounds most painful. Uh, what is it, Brian? A personal column is liable to contain anything from a lover's frantic appeal to his lady love to a ransom note. In my profession, I've frequently found it an invaluable medium for contacting the underworld. Uh-huh. Yes, now, here we are. Here's something. Uh, dear me. Oh, dear, no. Today's column seems rather uninspired, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, may I examine it? Of course, here you are. Merci. Um, if the lady who helped my little boy across the road at the corner of Threadwell Street and High Auburn last Wednesday at four uh, will get in touch with box 845, she will learn of something to her advantage. <laughs> we can be more colorful than that in Paris, my friend. Yes, I think we can do better than that, too. Yeah, look at this, will you? Oh, the printer must have been half asleep when he mm. set up the type for this advertisement. Will any gentleman interested in discussing... Cryptography and cipher writing. Please communicate with Box XQL 696, the time. Boy, I fail to find this message any more stirring than the preceding one. You notice the execrable printing, don't you? Indeed I do. It is all mixed up. The first word, will, starts with a capital W and a capital I. Uh, the second word, any, starts with a small A and then has a capital N and Y. It is a shocking example of typography. And when it occurs in a paper noted for its excellence in typesetting, one realizes that uh, this is no mistake. What do you mean, huh? This is undoubtedly a code message. Oh, 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 come now, my friend. I defy even you to make a mystery out of a printer's negligence. I accept your challenge, my dear Leviard. If you recall, the Baconian bilateral cipher depends upon the use of two sizes of type. If we group the letters in units of five, the arrangements of small and capital letters within the group should give us the message. Now, let's see. Two capitals followed by three small gives us the letter H. Then two capitals, one small, two more. Ca that gives us E. H I still think you are trying to make an adventure out of a mere printing accident. Oh, no. no mere printing accident could so readily fall into one of the great traditional ciphers. Now, let's see. This message reads H-E-L, help, uh... Uh, Q, too small. Uh, Q, I, uh, quilter. Help, quilter. Um, L, L, too small and large. Uh, elms. Help, quilter. Elms, pe there it is, yes. Penge. Help, quilter. Elms, penge. Help, quilter. Elms, penge. Well, what does that mean? Presumably that a man named Quilter, who lives at a house called the Elms, in the village of Penge, needs help. Ah, I see it now. A helpless victim held prisoner. He smuggles out this message as a, as a harmless personnel uh, with strict instructions that it be printed on this art form. He knows that the amateurs of cryptography to whom it is addressed will decipher this call for help. Et voilà. Monsieur Via, you seem ready to grant that adventure can exist in London after all. <laughs> the advantage, my dear Watson, of a more mercurial temperament than we Englishmen possess. Well, the Villard, what about it? Mm. Shall we set off for Penge and rescue the ingenious Mr. Quilter from whatever dire fate awaits him in the Elms? I'm all in patience. Mm. Splendid. Watson, I suppose you're too busy to join us. Uh, too busy? Well, I mean, your practice, I'm sure that you have patience. Oh, to yes, 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 of course, yes. As a matter of fact, I have two further visits to make today. One to a peppery old miser who has gout, and the other to a wealthy society woman who has acute attack of hypochondria, hypochondria, as they call it. The two places with them to help both from I'm coming with you, Holmes, if you want me. Bravo, Watson, and grab your hat and coat. The game's afoot. Oh, <laughs> 
Gents, the helm's pinned. Nice afternoon for a drive, wasn't it? Afraid it'll cost you 15 bob, though. There's a sovereign for you. You can keep the change. Oh, me, thank you, Governor. Top of the evening to you, gents. Oh, so, uh, this is the Elms, eh? Quite a bit of land for such a modest neighborhood. Uh, to call it the Elms seems remarkably inapropos. I-, I cannot see an elm tree in sight. So you see, Livia, the English have more imagination than you give them credit for. Are you just going to walk up to the front door and knock, Holmes? Why not? The direct approach is often the most satisfactory. Oh, you disappoint me. I had hoped that perhaps you would adopt one of the disguises in which you are so adept, I am told. Well, since it's unlikely that these people know me by sight, that's hardly necessary, is it? However, I trust that this little problem may reward you with some colorful highlights before we throw... Oh. Great Scott. Revolver shots. They came from the house. Ah, we are too late. Monsieur Quilter has been murdered. No, I think not. You will observe that the next-door neighbor to the Elms was mowing his front lawn as we drove up. He is still engaged in the same occupation. Obviously, revolver shots attract little attention this vicinity. Mon Dieu, you mean that violence and sudden death are so common that they do not attract even the passing <laughs> interest? <laughs> no, we are. <laughs> even the British are not as phlegmatic as that. Then what is the answer to those shots, Holmes? Some member of this household is addicted to pistol practice. The fact that a shooting target is nailed to the back of that fence over there would further support the theory. Well, that's rather ominous, in my opinion. Well, give me out the front door. Let's keep our wits about us, anyway. Are you carrying a revolver, Dr. Watson? No, no stethoscope, I'm afraid. I was prepared for sickness when I left the house today, and not for crime. Mm, I, too, am unarmed. How about you, Monsieur Holmes? Only a magnifying glass, I'm afraid. Hardly a very lethal weapon. Yes? My friends and I were calling on Mr. Coulter. Oh? Who are you? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and these are my friends. Dr. Watson and Monsieur Leviat. How do you do, do, madam? How do you do? Is Mr. Quilter expect? I don't know. We uh, read his advertisement in the agony column of the Times today and came down here at once. Are you uh, a relation of his? I'm his niece. Oh. My name is Doris Favisham. Come in, won't you? Uh, Miss Favisham, I suppose it is. Yes, doctor. It's Miss Favisham. Uh, We uh, heard three revolver shots as we were walking up the driveway. They... It gave us quite a start. Yes, mademoiselle. We were afraid that we might have arrived at the time of tragedy. Yes, indeed. Tragedy? Oh, <laughs> my hobby is revolver shooting. I was doing some target practice in the back garden as you arrived. Revolver <laughs> shooting, Miss Favisham. Oh, very interesting. I flatter myself that I'm something of a marksman myself. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps we can have a match. Won't you sit down? Your challenge intrigues me, Miss Favisham, but uh, before I accept it, I should like to see Mr. Quilter. Well, Uncle George is paralyzed, you know. Oh, Spent all his time in a wheelchair. I'm not at all sure he'll see you. Well, at least you can ask him, can't you, Miss Favisham? It is his custom at this time of the day to take a little nap. Uh, perhaps tomorrow... Doris! Doris! Oh, he's still awake. Who's here? Yes, Virginia? Uncle. Some men have come to see you, Uncle. Well, bring him in, bring him in. Follow me, gentlemen. Uncle? This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, and Monsieur... Uh, Monsieur... Le Villard. And Monsieur Le Villard. Uh, how do you do, sir? How do you do? Sir? Yeah. How do, you do? Sherlock Holmes, eh? It took you long enough to decipher my message and get here, didn't it? Your brother's a much faster worker, isn't he? Oh, what makes you say that, Mr. Quilter? Receive this telegram from him at 11 o'clock this morning. Read it for yourself. Oh, <laughs> well? What's it say, Holmes? Huh? Suggest you consult my brother Sherlock, and it's... Signed, Mycroft Holmes. Yes, Mr. Quilter, my... My brother is a much faster worker. Or shall we say that he suffers from the unfortunate habit of early rising? He undoubtedly read the agony column three hours before I did today. Don't know about that. But I've been expecting you all day. I imagine you know why I inserted that advertisement. Well, I had the impression that uh, you were under some form of restraint. That uh, you were in need of a rescue party, as it were. Rubbish. Hmm? My advertisement was a piece of subtle bait. The only person that could decipher the message would obviously be someone who knew the Baconian cipher. Very logical deduction, Mr. Quilter. You see, I'm convinced, as any sensible man should be, that the so-called Shakespearean plays were written by Sir Francis Bacon. Oh, I see. But I felt that it needed a clever man to prove the fact. Mm -hmm. I was sure that anyone who was able to decipher my message was the man I needed. 
And what'll it take, Mr. Holmes, to do the job? I'm a rich man. Name your fee. Well, you mean to say that you inveigled Mr. Holmes down here just to do some research on the origin of Shakespeare's work? Oh, you needn't look so shocked, Dr. Watson. Oh, My uncle has offered to pay him a handsome fee. Well, what do you say, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? An interesting subject for research. I'll concede that Ignatius Donnelly and others have proved almost beyond doubt that William Shakespeare of Stratford-on-Avon did not write the plays, but I greatly doubt that Lord Bacon did. I may devote my leisure and later years to some investigation on the subject, but in the meanwhile, Mr. Quilton, I'm afraid I'm much too busy to undertake such an assignment. Oh, please yourself. Show the gentleman out, Doris. Goodbye, sir. Uh, good Bye. day, sir. Too bad you had this long drive down here for nothing, gentlemen. Yes, I'm afraid I quite agree on it. It would seem to me that your uncle has a distinct talent for practical joking, mademoiselle. Uncle? Oh, uncle never made a joke in his life. Mr. Holmes, now that you're here, perhaps you'd like to indulge in a little shooting match. Thank you, Miss Faversham, but um, as I told your uncle, I'm a busy man. Good evening to you. Goodbye, gentlemen. Uh, Goodbye. goodbye. Holmes, old fellow, you're you're losing your touch. You'd never made a blunder like this if I'd still been with you. (laughs) It is comforting for an aspiring detective like myself to know that the great Sherlock Holmes is fallible. Yes, <laughs> then am I to assume that I must continue the case alone? What do you mean, continue the case? There isn't, uh, there isn't one. Quilter's in no danger. He's in desperate danger. What? I'm only afraid I may be too late to save him. But we have just spoken to the man. Oh, no. Did neither of you notice the traces of fresh loam on the boots of that supposedly paralyzed man? Gentlemen, I fear the agony column has led us to murder. <laughs> You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. Time enough for me to mention that any meal is a better meal when it's served with a Petri dinner wine. If you're having chicken or fish, use Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a subtle, delicately flavored white wine that looks and tastes like captured sunshine. If you're having a roast or chops or any kind of meat or meat dish, then by all means, serve Petri California Burgundy. Petri Burgundy is a hearty, full-flavored red wine. One of the most delicious red wines you ever poured from a bottle. Why not get a bottle of each? Petri Burgundy and Petri Sauterne. Then, no matter what you have for dinner, you'll surely have the right wine, a Petri wine. Well, Doctor, why did you have to break off your story there? Well, I had to break it off somewhere, Mr. Bartell, and that seemed to be the most exciting spot. (laughs) It certainly was. I was convinced that the great Sherlock Holmes had been fooled for once. What happened next? Well, my boy, needless to remark, we did not get into a cab and go back to London. But let me pick up the story at the same place that I broke it off. As Holmes said... Gentlemen, I fear the agony column has led us to murder. Murder? There was fresh earth on the soles of his boots, you say? Distinct traces. Proving that the man in the wheelchair was not paralyzed. And that man, whoever he is, was impersonating Quilter to put us off the track. And the real Quilter may have been killed, eh? I'm afraid so. Let's stop here for a moment, shall we, while we make our plans. This hedge will hide us from the house in case they're watching from the windows. Now, this isn't a hard picture to reconstruct. There undoubtedly is or was a paralyzed Baconian scholar named Coulter. He managed to smuggle out that ingenious plea for help, but Mycroft's unfortunate telegram gave the game away. Mm-hmm. I see it now. The people in there holding him prisoner forced him to reveal what he has done, eh? What they may have done to him, heaven alone knows. One of the criminals, guessing from the telegram that I might appear on the case, posed as the crippled Coulter. What's our next move, Holmes? Remember that singularly unattractive young lady skilled with a revolver? We must search the grounds as unobtrusively as we can. Search the grounds? For what? Uh, I can answer that question, Monsieur Doctor. We search for signs of the freshly turned earth of a grave. find any traces of the poor devil's corpse, thank heaven. No. A great disappointment. Cheer me, you're very bloodthirsty to be young. Hello. Look at the old fellow trimming the hedge over there. Must be the gardener. Let's have a chat with him, shall we? May be able to give us some information. Good evening to you. 
Evening to you, gentlemen. You work for Mr. Quilter? That I do, sir. That I do. Ah, very fine work, too. I've seldom seen a better kept garden. I thank you, sir. I do pride myself in my work. I wonder if you can help me. Be glad to if I can, sir. Uh, did you see a telegraph boy deliver a message here this morning? That I did, sir. The boy came here about ten o'clock this morning. I was a clip in the front edge at the time. And uh, you've been working here ever since? Yes, sir. Brought my lunch with me today and ate it in the garden. Has anyone entered or left the house since that telegram was delivered? No, sir. No one except yourselves. I see, I see. I suppose you occasionally run errands for Mr. Quilter? Not much these days, sir. The poor old gentleman keeps his chair in the house pretty much all the time, sir. I did run a message for him yesterday, oh, though. Oh, you did? Hmm? Where to? Well, sir, I was pruning the rose bushes under his study windows when the window opens and his hand comes out with a message. He told me to take it to the village office of the Times and to tell him to print it just the way it was. He looked kind of worried when he gave me the message. And he he whispered to me, just as if he was afraid in his own house. I'm much obliged to you. Here's five shillings for your trouble. Oh, thank you, sir. Much obliged <laughs> to you, I'm sure. Good evening. Good evening to you, gentlemen. Well, so that's how the message was smuggled out. Mm, and no one has come to the house or left it since that telegram was delivered. Uh, for Coulter or his body must still be inside that house. We are going to search the house? Yes, we are. But we're not armed, and they certainly are. They probably won't even let us in. Yes, they will. We have a, an infallible key to entry, a woman's vanity. Come on. Oh, so you came back. I thought you wouldn't be able to resist my challenge to a pistol match, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> exactly, Miss Favisham. We had difficulty in finding a cab and decided to take a train back to London. It was an hour's wait, so I... Well, I thought I'd accept your challenge. Good. Come in. We'll go into the back garden. Thank you. Don't talk loudly. I think Uncle's asleep in the next room. Don't bring anybody in here, Doris. I want to sleep. All right, Uncle. This way, gentlemen. If your uncle wants to sleep, seems a funny sort of al alibi. <laughs> oh, well, he's used to that, Doctor. There we are. This is the 50-yard range, Mr. Mm -hmm. Holmes. Three shots, best aggregate score wins. Comes to you on a bet. Uh, you name the stake. <coughs> name the stakes, Miss Favisham. The sovereign? Certainly. You uh, take the first three shots? Very well. I must just check that it's loaded. Yes, six bullets. All right, here I go. Bravo, Miss Faversham. Splendid. Who's I? And two winners. I can do better. Your turn, Mr. Holmes. Doris, who are these men? Friends of mine. I'll introduce you in a minute, Geoffrey. We're in the middle of a match at the moment. Your turn, Mr. Holmes. The Volvo, please. Here you are. Thank you. You, uh, you're sure you know how to handle a revolver? Oh, quite sure, thanks. And why are you pointing it at me? Because I want you to raise your hands above your head. You too, whatever your name is. Doris, who are these men? Put up your hands. I shan't hesitate to shoot, I assure you. Come on. That's it. What in heaven's name do you think you're up to? Finding out what became of the real Mr. Quilter. Search the man, Watson. Right, you are, Holmes. Be yes, uh, Go to the house, will you, and search it. Uh, yes, but of course. Well, I know this man had a revolver on his hip. Keep him covered with it. Here, stand still, you. Now, sir, who are you? From your resemblance to the man in the wheelchair that we saw earlier, I should say that you're a member of the same family. We're both relatives of Mr. Quilter. That's right. My name's Davis. I'm from the Australian branch of the family. Relatives, yes. And doubtless you stood to inherit his estate in the event of Quilter's death. You moved in on this defenseless old man, terrorized him, lived off him, and finally found it necessary to destroy him. You're talking absolute rubbish. You're showing the truth and you know it. I can tell by your expressions. Move back into the house, both of you. Come on. And keep your hands raised. All right, that's it. Come on. Lead the way into the study. The man posing as Mr. Coulter is still there. We heard him call out as we came in. Yes, we might as well confront the three of them together. Yes, he's still seated in the chair. He seems to be asleep. Via! Did you find anything? Not a trace of the missing men, Monsieur Holmes. Davis. What did you do with Mr. Quilter? I didn't do anything with him. Of course not. He's sitting there in that chair. Well, it's no good lying to us. We know that that man's an imposter. <sighs> this is a fantastic situation. Nobody has left this house since the telegram arrived, and nobody has come to it, and yet Mr. Quilter has vanished. 
Good Lord, how can he sleep through all this talk? He'd think he'd been drugged. The P.R. We're idiots. You are unquestionably the most promising detective in France, and some people have been kind enough to grant me a similar status in England, and yet my old friend Watson has just solved the case. Oh, well, well, nothing. Just too happy to... What? Solved it? Well, how? Listen to the breathing of that man in the chair. What? He's been drugged. There sits the real Mr. Quilter, the persecuted victim who sent a cipher message for help. The man we spoke to earlier. Was you, Mr. Davies, impersonating Quilter. After you'd received us, you took off your disguise, adopted an Australian accent, and then hid your drug victim by placing him in his own wheelchair, knowing that would be the last place we'd look for him. Mm, and they would have kept him here until we had gone and then murdered him. What a devilish plot. Well, what have you got to save yourselves? It was Jeffrey's idea, not mine. I didn't have anything to do with it. That's a dirty lie. You were in this as much as I am. Oh, this is splendid, simply splendid. Please continue the argument. It'll... Make interesting evidence in court. You can't take us into court. Of course you can't. What's the charge? Quilter's still alive, isn't he? When Mr. Quilter revives under Dr. Watson's ministrations, you will be charged, I have no doubt, with attempted murder, abduction, sequestration, duress, and probably several other counts. Monsieur Villard, if you will find us a cab, we'll take these miscreants to Scotland Yard. Our work is done. <laughs> Well, Doctor, that was a fine story. Every... What are you fidgeting for? Fidgeting? Me? Well, I'm expecting a guest. I thought I heard him just now at the, the, the front door. A guest? <laughs> now, you're being as mysterious as Mr. Holmes. Oh, not quite. You see, I... Ah, come in. Dr. Watson, how are you, you old rascal? <laughs> Gregory, my boy. It's great to see you again. Mr. Bartell, meet my friend, Mr. Gregory Hood. Not... The Gregory Hood. Mr. Bartell, I like the way you say that. <laughs> yes, Mr. Bartell, this is the Gregory Hood. Mr. Bartell, if you listen to Dr. Watson, he'll lead you to believe I'm much more important than I am. I'm quite a simple person, really. I'm kind to dogs, just love little children, and always help old ladies cross the street. I also know how to make a fire by rubbing two sticks together. <laughs> yes, and unlike my old friend Holmes, you pretend to know very little about criminals and crime... And yet you're one of America's outstanding criminologists. So I've heard. A hobby, Mr. Bartell, a hobby. My real business is importing. Headquarters, San Francisco. Uh, need any old masters? Perhaps I can sell you a nice piece of jade, or uh, would you rather have a bit of old Balinese sculpture? <laughs> now, wait a minute. This is all a little too fast for me. <laughs> you learn that Gregory is a little too fast for everybody. Uh, but, Mr. Bartell, I'm sure you'll get to know Mr. Hood a good deal better. You see, as I've told you, I've always wanted to take a trip back to England... And now I have a chance to do so. But, Doctor, uh, won't I see you again? What about our story? Oh, I shall be back in the fall. But meanwhile, I've asked Mr. Gregory Hood to get together with you at this time every week and tell you some of his experiences. Which, of course, makes me feel very important. Mr. Hood, as you know, has been involved in many famous cases dealing in crime. His importing business and his hobby criminology are a strange combination. I learned that he keeps a diary of these cases. And it's a fascinating book. The Casebook of Gregory Hood. The Casebook of Gregory Hood. Sounds intriguing. Intriguing? Huh. It certainly is. Thank you. Well, then I can tell all our friends, be sure to listen next week at the same time and every Monday night through the summer to The Casebook of Gregory Hood. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Sign of Four. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California... Invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs>